0: for us to worship together. And we now come to that time in which we hear the reading of of God's Word, and and we are a church where the Bible matters here, and so we stand as a way to honor and to receive God's Word. So let's give our attention to the reading of it from Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 through 23. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that this is the law of Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, And the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of the Lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, "'The king declared to Daniel, "'O Daniel, servant of the living God, "'has your God, whom you serve continually, "'been able to deliver you from the lions?' "'Then Daniel said to the king, "'O king, live forever. "'My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, "'and they have not harmed me, "'because I was found blameless before him "'and also before you, O king. "'I have done no harm.' "'Then the king was exceedingly glad,' And commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray. We pray for your spirit, for your goodness, for your kindness. Lord, that you would influence and teach us here today, and that we may receive your insight as we go from here. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. One of the common questions that we ask throughout our lives, and we sometimes ask it probably multiple times per day, is this, what should I do? Right? Um, It's a a question that, that continually comes up. What should I do about this, or what should I do about that? It's a question that even begins when we're little kids about what, it, what should we do. Um, I, I remember learning about a, an experiment they did on, on kids in which they would give a kid a marshmallow. And they would say, you, if you, you can eat this marshmallow or if you wait 15 minutes, then you will get two marshmallows. Marshmallows. Um, and, uh, and just a sort of a way to see what sort of delayed gratification kids would have. It was interesting, actually, the results of the study. Um, it kind of ended up being about a third would eat it in the first 30 seconds, Um, And some of you, that would be you, right? You're like, I'm going to take my marshmallow now. I'm not going to wait. About a third would sort of make it to about the 6 to 10-minute mark, and then they'd be like, all right, I can't wait any longer, and they'd have the marshmallow. And about a third or so would actually make it the 15 minutes and get the, the second marshmallow, Right. But it's one of those decisions. What should I do? Should I have something good now or can I wait and have something better later, right? We ask this question throughout our lives, right? Maybe when we're in middle school or high school, um, you know, somebody asked me to the dance, what should I do? We get to college and, and we wonder about what our major should be and what should I do? Should I major in this or should I major in that, Sometimes we ask ourselves that about a job. What should I do? Should I take this new job? Should I keep working where I'm at? Should I, put, should I, should I go into this new world or should I stay where I'm at and where I'm used to? What do I do ab- about something that, that's going on? Maybe there's an ethical situation and you're trying to weigh it and trying to figure it out. I've determined that parenting is just one long experiment of what should I do one time right after another. And one of the things that's been really tough about 2020 is that there have been a thousand times we've had to ask the question, well, what should I do or what should we do? Should we open up? Should we do it this way or should we do it that way? Um, There's so many different decisions that we've had to make throughout this time. And even this week with the ice storm that we had, we had to ask ourselves, what should we do? Do I stay at home? Do I buy a generator? Do I go to a friend's house? There's all these questions that come up time and time again. And so, kids, I invite you in the room, if you uh, have our box in box one, I invite you to draw a marshmallow and answer how long you think you would wait in order to get an additional one. Because what we're really wanting to do is to search for wisdom, to try to figure out what to do. Now, one of the answers that the church has had, and I think it's a really good one, in our search for wisdom is to ask a question, what would Jesus do, right? Right? In fact, uh, I remember uh, having one of these bracelets, and maybe you had one of those bracelets uh, as well. If you had a What Would Jesus Do bracelet at some point in time, yeah, um, those things were mighty popular back in the day. But it asked that question, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? Um, And not only what would Jesus do, but I wonder if we would actually have the courage to be able to do what Jesus would do. Because Jesus embodied this wisdom. He always knew what the right thing to do, what the best thing to do was. And there's this difference, right, between wisdom and and, and knowledge. There's a difference between knowing something and and being wise, right? Um, It's it's more than being smart. There's a difference there. And so I looked online to see kind of what people said the, the difference between wisdom and knowledge was or what the definition of wisdom was. I liked one of these definitions It said, a smart person knows what to say, but a wise person knows how to say it. Um, one definition of wisdom was this, the appropriate application of knowledge. Um, a few years ago, I was actually preaching a, a sermon on wisdom. And so I thought, who is somebody wise that I know? And, uh, and, and instantly, one of the wisest people uh, that I've ever encountered um, is a gentleman by the name of Arden Autry. Dr. Autry was a professor of New Testament um, at ORU, but he also worked at our, the church that I was at, at First Methodist in Tulsa. And so here's a picture of Arden. Doesn't he just look wise? Like, doesn't that just look like the kind of person that you would be like, ah, oh, I'm going to ask his advice and opinion of things. And so Arden' office next to me when I first got there, and um, I would go into his office and we would just, um, I would say we would talk about the Bible because he let me talk some. But he was just one of those people who just just everything he said just emanated wisdom. I, if, you've, if you've been around those kinds of people, it's amazing, right? Um, and so he retired, but I, I, still had, um, I still had his phone number, and we would still talk, and I'd still be able to ask him questions. And so as I was preparing a sermon on wisdom, I decided I would just ask the wise person, what's your definition of wisdom? So I texted him, and I, and I said, Arden, what is your definition of wisdom, period? And um, he texted me back. Um, He said, using correct punctuation, period. Um, And so I thought, okay, uh, this is kind of who Arden was. And and so I said, what is your definition of wisdom, question mark? And, uh, And this is what he told me. He said, wisdom is insight and understanding from observation or divine gift. It's seeing reality and knowing how to respond appropriately It begins with the fear of God because the reality is God gives and sustains our lives and the universe at his pleasure. The Holy Spirit can give us perspective beyond our experience. I love that part. To know enough to act with discretion and to serve God's will in our interactions with others and the world. Then he waited a little bit and he added this part. Wisdom is usually concise. Like, love God your maker and others your neighbors, which wisdom makes briefer, love God and others. And so then I knew I had to ask this next question. So I asked, so what is your concise definition of wisdom, question mark? And this is what he said. And he said, wisdom is insight for right response. And this is really what I think as we think about wisdom, that this is what we are all needing, is we are needing insight for how to respond appropriately. Because sometimes the the wise thing is so obvious, it's so clear that this is exactly what we should do. But so often in life, it's cloudy, it's messy, it's muddy. There doesn't seem to be a clear decision. Sometimes we're fortunate enough that we might have three good decisions in front of us and we're trying to choose the best one. One of the things that has made uh, this COVID-19 pandemic so difficult is it seems like there are three bad decisions in front of us, and we're trying to discern the best one. And so what we are trying to do as people is to find out, God, what would you have us to do? And we need wisdom because wisdom without courage is just unnecessary risk. We cannot have courage unless we have the wisdom that this is what God would want us to do. And so in the sermon series, we're talking about courageous faith, and this is our working definition of it, is that courage is bravely following Jesus into risk by trusting God, listening to God's insight with consistent hope. And so last week, we talked about trusting Jesus, and we talked about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and today we're really going to focus on how do we listen to God's insight, and how do we know what is the wise thing to do? And and, and remember, we're sort of grounding our text and this whole series on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says that this way, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And just a reminder, if you're under 18 and you tell me that verse, I'll give you a prize if you have it memorized. If you're over 18, I'll pat you on the back, all right? Um, But I really think this is something we need to take in. Um, Because part of what it says is do not lean on your own understanding. And most of us, we do this, is that we try to figure out what should I do time and time again, and, and, and we aren't always seeking the counsel from God in the way that we should, and certainly not in the way that Daniel does. And so in our, our story this week, we, we hear about Daniel and the lion's and This is one of those stories that we, we kind of hear frequently um, in children's church. We grew up hearing about the story of, of Daniel and the lion's In. And, and one of the things he needed was wisdom to know what to do. Now, um, if you were here last week, then you're going to see a lot of parallels in the stories. But if you weren't, that's okay, because let me just sort of walk through these. Last week, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in the same sort of way that happened with Daniel, there was a king who was sort of naive and was talked into an edict that anybody who prayed or worshiped to God, um, the God of Israel, or any other person besides the king, because in those days, kings were seen as gods that they would be punished and thrown into a pit. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that pit was a fiery furnace. And for Daniel, that pit was the den of lions. And so what happened is, in both of our stories, our protagonists, our heroes, decided to remain faithful and continue to worship God and continue to pray instead of giving in to the pressures of their time. And so people, they were brought up into charges, And in the story last week with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they really trusted God because the king um, was furious and infuriated that they would stand against him. And so he had the fire turned up and thrown into the fire. But in this story, Daniel instead went to pray and was saved. And so kids, I'm going to invite you in box two to, to draw a picture of Daniel praying to God. And the encounter Between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the king and Daniel and the king are actually really quite different because um, Nebuchadnezzar, who is Darius's grandfather, if I remember my scripture correctly, um, was angry and infuriated until they were saved and then he worshiped God. But Darius had a different response to Daniel as he said these words, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And so he had trust and faith that God could deliver him. May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Now this is an obvious echo to the prayer and the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from our story last week. Because this is what they said. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. That, that these, this king understood that God was still powerful and was in power control but even so he followed his edict and Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and our scripture tells us that that God shut the mouth of the lions and he was safe in there and so kids in box three I invite you to draw a picture of Daniel um, hanging out with the lions overnight And so what happened was, uh, um, the next morning, the king, he fasted and prayed, and and he said, Daniel, are you okay? And Daniel came out of the lion's den, he said, I'm good, Um, and God, my God, whom I serve continually, has saved me. Now, I imagine that when he heard the edict, Daniel was probably asking, what should I do? What should I do? Should I continue to pray? Should I continue to do? It's only a 30-day thing. Can I? Maybe I'll just do it in secret for 30 days. But he chose to do the faithful thing, the thing that he had been doing time and time again. And you see, sometimes we think about courage being a one-off, an exceptional experience that we try to do. But actually, courageous faith is a long obedience in the same direction. It's, It's when we continue to move in the direction of God. This phrase, which to me had been made famous by Eugene Peterson, is really about courage is is what happens when we continue in the same direction of following Jesus. It puts us on the edge of things instead of in the norm of things. That as we continue to follow Jesus into risk, it's going to look courageous. But the truth is, it's the result of faithfulness time and time. And this is who Daniel was. That courageous action is actually a result of faithfulness and a faithful behavior. And because Daniel continually prayed to God. You may have noticed this. I know it was a long scripture and sometimes things get lost. So let me remind you of verse 10 that was at the very beginning of the scripture we read today. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. It says he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. You see, for Daniel, the courageous thing was the normal thing. And it was part of his routine. What should I do? I should do the same faithful thing I did yesterday. And the same faithful thing I'm going to do tomorrow. And I guarantee the day after he got out of the lion's den, he did the same thing. Because what happens is is that when we have a routine routine, of faith, it enables us to take the appropriate risk because we know we are standing on a good foundation. And that Daniel's routine enabled him to take what for us would be a risk of of, of putting yourself out in the potential of throwing yourselves in a lion's den. But for him, it wasn't courageous, but it was faithful. And in fact, really, the only way we can think about faith is to think about it being courageous. And to live a life of routine. And so really as I think about how do we have courageous faith, all right? I think we have to begin with thinking about our own routine. Is does our routine propel us to courage? Does it propel us to comfort? Or does it propel us to cowardness? Because for Daniel, it propelled him to being courageous, to, to stepping into this life of faith. But I know sometimes for myself, um, for me, it's pretty easy when I get home from work today, um, is, is how long does it take me to get to my side of the couch? We, everybody has that, right their chair or their side of the couch, right, or whatever the case may be. But I know that when I get home, the longer I can put off getting to my side of the couch— the better I'm gonna be all the way around. Because the moment I get in that couch then I have given in to the God of comfort, which is a wonderful God sometimes, right? We like to be comfortable. But sometimes our routine is a routine built on comfort instead of built on courage. Or even worse, sometimes our routine builds us into a place of cowardice in which we shy away from the faithful, difficult thing God is asking us to do. And instead, we are courageous to do the faithful thing he asks. And so I want us to think about, does a routine help us like Daniel did three times a day to pray before God, help us to live courageously, or does it help us to live comfortlessly? And so our routine often also helps us to know who is influencing us. Because we all are looking for wisdom, and your insight will initiate from your influences what you think is the right thing to do will stem and will come from who is influencing your life who it is that is in your routine of people that you give authority to and so one of the people that I give authority to is Arden um, if, if Arden um, if I ask Arden a question and he tells me something then I'm going to listen to it because I trust him as a man of God with great wisdom and I believe in him all right and we all have people that we listen to and that influence us. Now, the key thing is, and I want, to, I want to be clear about this, is that you are being discipled by what you give your attention to and who you give your authority to. You, we are all being discipled. A disciple is really an apprentice. It's a learner. It's somebody who follows. And we are all being discipled by someone or something, by some mindset, by some process. And, and, and there are people who are desperate, incredibly desperate, to make you their disciple because then they hold influence over you. And so one of the questions I want to ask today is who are your influencers? Who are the people that are influencing your life and your thought process. In fact, that's a whole world of social media um, advertisements are people who are considered influencers and they get paid thousands of dollars to endorse certain products or whatever the case may be, they are called influencers because they are people that have your attention and that hold your authority. If this person recommends it, then I'm gonna do it. And so one of the things kids I want you to do is I I invite you to, to write three or five people or you can draw pictures of them Who Write three or five people that influence your thinking. Adults, I'm going to make it harder for you. I want you to write five to ten people, all right, who influence your thinking. Who are the people that you give your time and you give your attention to? Now, that may be family members. It may be your parents. It may be your spouse. It it may be your wise aunt or uncle, all right, that if they were to tell you something, you'd be able to do it. Um, But it, it also, especially in our world today, it can come from all sorts of sources, What is the the news you trust? Because that's communicating something to you. Who's on your social media feed that that comes up? What sort of things come up on on your Twitter? Who do you trust and get advice from in those ways? What are the authors that you read that you think, ah, they've got the right perspective on life? It's really important for us to identify who has influence in our life. And it's also important for us to understand the biases that they come from is that everybody has an agenda that they're trying, that they're trying to influence you for a certain reason, for a certain cause. And it's really important for us to understand that. And so we have to think through who is influencing us and who gives, who do we give authority in our life to? That if this person was to say it, we'd be more likely to do it. If this person was to say it, then that would change the way that we think. And we have to really think about that. And then we have to ask ourselves, where is God on the list? Is God on the list? Do we spend so much time listening to other voices that we are not listening to the voice of God? And one of the things that if God's not at the top of our list, or even on the list, is one of the things we have to do is we have to change our routines. And one of those things that we have to do is have a better routine of prayer. We see this in the story of Daniel. Three times every day he would pray. Three times every day he would pray. It was a routine of prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I have routines of prayer, it become ruts of prayer. I just do what I'm supposed to do because that's what I'm supposed to do. And and I'm like, well, I did my upper room devotion. I feel better about myself, but it really didn't do anything. But that's what I want to do. And here's what I want to say is that a routine of faithfulness is always good. And a rut of prayer is better than no prayer at all because the goal of our devotion time is not for us to get something out of it. The goal of our devotion time is to devote ourselves to God. And so if we give ourselves to God, if we say, God, here I am, I'm present before you, then we are opening ourselves up to hearing and valuing the voice of God. My hope is that your prayer time is alive, that your quiet time, that your devotion time is meaningful and worthwhile. But there are times in which it's not gonna be. That doesn't mean stop. That means continue in the routine of prayer of listening to the voice of God. Because the quieter you all are and the stiller you are, the more likely you're going to be able to hear the voice of God. And you want to hear it in the quiet and stillness so that in the chaos you can hear it more clearly. You have to practice listening to the voice of God when everything is quiet. So that when everything is noisy, you're like, that's the wisdom from God. That's not God, that's not God, that is. And this is what God is saying, and I can get my insight from him. Another important routine is that of worship. I mean, that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing is that they were choosing to worship God instead of worshiping the king. And that this is really important. This is why I think Sunday morning matters is, is that this routine of worship is important. And that's one of the things I'm grateful for, those of you who are watching online, and, um, and that you keep coming back week after week after week in order to have this routine of worship, because we need to be reminded of who God is and where God is. Um, When I was in Tulsa, there was a a staff member, his name was Peter, and and Peter would, would call us to worship in the worship service. And one of the things that he would say each and every Sunday, and it became part of the way I see the world, is he said this, he said, there is a center to the universe and it is not us. And each and every Sunday, we come to remind ourselves that the center of the universe is not me. It's not about me. But in fact, God is the center and God holds all things together. And in worship, I'm reminded of the goodness, the faithfulness, and the love of God each and every week. And that I center myself on that. Now, part of a routine is also a routine of generosity. This courageous faith Is part of our 2021 generosity campaign in which we are encouraging people to give generously to the church and to think about their giving. Now, here's the thing that I know is that we want to cultivate a routine of generosity so that people are generous people in all ways. And one of the ways we do that is financially. I mean, I've really seen it with this church in an incredible way because even when church was disrupted and, and we kept the routine of worship online, we didn't miss a Sunday. In fact, we probably worship more this year than a lot of years because of what we've done on, on Wednesday night. But one of the great things is the, the routine of generosity that so many people are in in this church is that they would still mail in their checks and many people are still doing that. That even though they couldn't be in person, they still kept that routine of generosity which has enabled us to continue and expand our ministry here, is we need people to be faithful in that way. And if you want to be a generous person, it's not something that you just muster up and you make a big donation over time. But in fact, the people who make those big generous gifts are people who are giving faithfully week after week, month after month, year after year. And I would just encourage you, especially if you're somebody who's been giving generously, Um, look back on what you've given and just think about how much your faithfulness has been done. It wouldn't surprise me if people in this room, as they look back over 10 or 20 years, are talking about $50,000 or $80,000 they've given over the past five or 10 years to the kingdom of God, maybe some more, maybe some less. But because they give every week consistently, the courageous number. If I told you somebody had given us $50,000 today, you'd be celebrating. But the truth is is there are people in this room who over the past few years or even 10 years have given well over 50000 because they've given continually. And what happens is, is that once you're used to this pattern of giving and you're used to living on less than your full check because you're choosing to tithe and give what God has called you to do, then generosity is so much easier to do because you're saying, you know what, I know what it's like to live on less than I can do it and I know how much of a difference it makes to give more. And so for us as a people of God, the routine of generosity is part of what we do here. And so one of the things that we're going to have time and time again is we're going to need wisdom and insight from God. And our routine matters a great deal. But it also matters the question that we ask. At the beginning of my sermon, I talked about it. What should I do? And this is something we ask time and time again. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And I know I'm guilty of asking that very question, but I think that's actually the wrong question. I don't think that's the question that we should ask because oftentimes when I ask what should I do, then, then I'm making myself the center of the universe. It's about my decision. And as the people of God, it's not about my decision. It's actually about what God would have us to do. And so I'm going to invite us to ask a different question. And that question is this, Lord, what should I do? And I think this will change everything because it's a reminder that we are not the heroes in our story, but God is. And that God is the one who instructs us with wisdom as to what we should do. Now, sometimes we, we would say this, oh, Lord, what should I do, right? Lordy, what should I do? We find ourselves in those situations. But the truth is, the Lord is the person who tells us what to do. Now, we don't live in a lordship culture, so we're not used to this, all right? We're not used to thinking of the Lord as the person who can tell us what to do, even if we don't want to do it, even if that's riskier than we don't want to, even if it doesn't feel like the right thing. But ultimately, this is what we have, is we say, Lord, what should I do? And when we commit to follow Jesus, we are committing to follow him as our Savior and as our Lord, our Savior who saves us from our sins, but also our Lord who can tell us what to do and who will encourage us to do the faithful thing time and time again. And so I know this week you're going to be asking yourself the question, what should I do? And my hope and prayer for each and every one of us is that we change that question and we say, Lord, what should I do? And there's a much easier way than to just ask that question. It's if you're in that routine of faithfulness, God will give you the answer often even before we ask it. And so what I want us to do is, is um, I'm going to invite us to a time of prayer. And uh, as we have this time of prayer, I'm going to give you some silence and stillness before we do communion. And part of that time of prayer is if there's something that you've been wondering, what should I do? What's the courageous thing? What's the faithful thing? What's the right thing to do? That you bring that before God and we're going to be still and we're going to listen to the voice of God together. So let us pray. And so Lord, we do pray. Lord, you call us to faithfulness, especially when it's not easy. Especially when it's not what we want to do, but but we believe it's what you are calling us to do, the the courageous thing, the righteous thing, the faithful thing, the generous thing. And Lord, sometimes we resist that. So right now, Lord, I don't know what's going on in the hearts and the lives of of our people here in this room and watching online, but I believe you are, are calling us and I believe we have questions. And so Lord, right now, as we are still and silent before you, We ask this question, Lord, what should I do? And as we are still, would your voice speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 830 and 1050 AM every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.